Good morning, and welcome to episode 650 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. Hi, Ben. Hi. How are you? All right. Okay. Baseball's back. Yeah, and you're going to be in trouble. Making me miss Good Wife. Uh, God, I'm missing Good Wife right now. I know. Let's quit the podcast. And quit writing about baseball. We can't compromise our good wife watching. Uh, I don't understand how it's midnight where you are. Yeah, but good wife was on during baseball. Why am I recording right now? <laughs> Very unhappy. We're fan friendly. All right. Missed Mad Men. Baseball's back. It's horrible. Missing all my TV shows. Live K Tracker. Missing where the pitch is sometimes. <laughs> Uh-huh. What do you think about that live K-Tracker? Uh, I had this weird like optical illusion thing going on where it seemed to me to be like a window in the screen and everything behind the K-Tracker was brighter than the rest of the screen. Huh. Did you have that illusion? I felt like it was like a dirty window and the K-Tracker box was like the brightest part of the screen. I don't I think that was actually true. I didn't, but I did feel, I just felt une- unease looking at the screen. To have to have graphics all around the screen uh, is already a bit claustrophobic, but to have a, what is essentially a graphic right in the middle of the screen, right where you're looking to have this thing that is artificial, mm-hmm. uh, made it hard for me to watch. Like, I was just sort of, I felt unease. I felt cluttered. Yeah. I felt like I, I wanted to clean my desk. That's what it was. <laughs> like, I was watching this and I just thought, I need to clean something. I'm not sure. I kind of forgot about it. After a little while, it sort of just stopped. I stopped noticing it, really. Uh-huh. Uh, do you it think... kind of focuses your attention on the part of the screen that I'm usually paying attention to anyway. So, I, I don't know. I, do, you I... think Mike, do you think Mike Winters was as bad as, as all the commentary was saying? Or do you think we were just hyper aware of it because of this thing? Yeah, that that is possible too I, I it might be that that this will draw attention to every bad call slash good frame or whatever you want to call it so i'm i'm not sure um we're all we're all out of practice right we're out of practice with baseball watching we're out of practice with umpire judging yeah um yeah this was interesting because for all I, I don't know if if you were going to say that framing is is overrated tonight might be the night because you had I guess Montero I mean Montero's a good framer too maybe they were both exactly equally good at framing mm-hmm. but this was the perfect example of an umpire who was missing a lot of calls consistently for both teams mm-hmm. and unless they were like I like framing exactly the same you would just say oh well umpire sucked or <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or maybe just umpire missed some calls. I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I don't know if he did suck. I don't know if it was just that we were aware of it. But anyway, this is why I didn't want. This is why. This is where the strike zone, the abolish the strike zone argument came from. Is the frustration of seeing uh, pitch trackers, K trackers, whatever they are, uh, on the screen. Uh, it just feels to me like you can't have that box up there and and still run a league. Like you have to get rid of the the box, or you have to have it be called. Right, because it's just too weird to have yeah. weird to have I mean, it's, sort it's, of state sanctioned state sanctioned technology telling you that it's uh, right. that what you're watching is a farce. Mm-hmm. It's not so dramatically different from having it on the right side of the screen. No, no, of course not. I mean, I, I 
I was an, I'm opposed to that as well. In uh-huh. a sense. Although I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I'm sort of opposed to it, but sort of I'm opposed to the strike zone. Anyway, this is me. <laughs> right. We're not saying anything. This is it's spring training for us too, Ben. That's right. For one more, for like a couple more hours. Yadier Molina and Miguel Montero's framing projections are almost exactly the same. Yeah. Okay. For whatever it's worth. All right. Well. Uh, okay. Anything? Anything else? Well, depends what your topic for today is. What's your topic for today? My topic for the day for today is the winter's extensions. Hmm. Okay. Well, I guess I have banter then. Can we banter about John Lester for a second? Yeah, definitely. How much? How much? If you knew that, like, if you were the Cubs and you were ready to offer him 155 million dollars. And you said, but just so we're clear, you can throw to first, right? <laughs> right. And he, and he said, uh, you know, I, to be honest, I can't. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how, and I'll never do it again. Seven years you're going to have me, and I won't throw to first once. Mm. I might run it over there. It, the best <laughs> you can hope for is I'll run it over there. How much does your, how much does your offer drop? I'm trying to write about this. It's, it's hard to figure out like how, how much it hurts him. Because tonight was was suggestive, right? Kind of picked up where he left off in the wild card game. The Cardinals attempted four steals off of him. They are not a team that attempts lots of steals. They attempted the fifth fewest steals of any team last year. Of course, they didn't have Jason Hayward then. But so they attempted four steals. They were successful three times. None of the guys who stole ended up scoring, I don't think. So I'm curious whether this is going to turn out to be if if he never does throw to first again, and if everyone treats that as a license to steal on first move, if he makes a move, he's going to the plate, and you know that, and you can take a nice big lead. I wonder whether this is the sort of thing that falls under the category of pinch running and how that seems like it can be a difference maker, but as you found when you combed through game logs looking for times when Billy Hamilton at the time could have made a difference for the Reds and you came up with whatever it was, like a, a run in a month or something. Yeah. yeah. So I wonder if you have a pitcher who is a good pitcher and doesn't let lots of guys on base to begin with, but everyone knows that he can't throw over and refuses to throw over. I wonder what the maximum amount of damage it could do <laughs> is. It's hard to it's hard to figure because there's no there's no group that you can compare it to right there's no like we can isolate this group of major league pitchers who never throw to first and see what the lead batters get against them is and how successful they are there's no like control group so it's hard to say what a pitcher like that would do because there aren't other pitchers like that and now maybe everyone knows that john lester is a pitcher like that so i guess we'll find out so that billy hamilton thing though was if he were used only as a pinch hitter, a yeah. pinch runner, which I, I, those are all leveraged opportunities, and a lot of times they won't be leveraged, but uh, it's only one opportunity a game and, and less than that. And so you might say that if he's turning every base runner into Billy Hamilton or he's turning half of a lineup into Billy Hamilton, uh, that if there's four or eight steals or 12 steals or 17 steals a game off him, then it would be a lot more. Uh, so I don't know that the Billy Hamilton thing, which was, yeah, it was like basically a run a month, uh, uh, at his expected success rate, uh, would be, 
necessarily very instructive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I'd look forward to finding out what answer you come up with. <laughs> I don't know if I will come up with one. It's like, it's like how, how do you even, I guess you can look at those guys leads tonight and I mean, Matt Holiday stole a base. Matt Holiday doesn't steal lots of bases. That was a double steal, I guess, but, but see how big their leads are compared to how big their leads usually are or how, how long it took them to get down to first base or second base or third base compared to how long it usually, I don't know that there is an answer that can be had right now. We might just have to wait and watch Lester for a while, but you'd have to think that there will come a point, right? I mean, there comes a point where no matter how uncomfortable you are throwing to first base, it becomes more uncomfortable not to throw to first base, right? That, that point has to come at some point, whether it's just the fact that the broadcaster is saying over and over that you never throw to first base and you're aware that everyone is aware of it watching you or just the fact that guys are stealing on you left and right. There has to be a point where no matter how like how unconfident you are in your ability to lob a ball over to first, it becomes a risk-reward thing where the risk of throwing it away is not greater than the risk of just letting everyone steal on you every single time. It would be uh, probably the the most and yet and yet <laughs> yeah and yet we ha- we didn't we haven't seen him get there. No, well, we've only seen this is like his second start. I know, in which but, we are all aware that he does this. I know, but the I mean, the first one took place six months ago. He's right. had a lot of time. <laughs> He's had spring training, which you'd think would be the time when you might approach a guy and say, "Hey, let's work on lobbing the ball over to first. Yeah, so exactly. It's, it's sort of worrisome that, that that did not produce a pickoff attempt. And also, he, let's see, Wong, somehow Wong would have been out if he had, right, didn't, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I was, I was distracted at times by mm-hmm. pitch tracker, but. I missed a little bit because of family Easter stuff. Uh, so, uh, so one base runner got caught and then another would have gotten caught except the ball like was dropped at second base. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, and he gave up two steals, but they were on a double steal. So, I mean, he gave up three, but including long, but two more and they were on double steal. So it is somehow amazing. And, and also while we were being told that his delivery to home was slow, I believe, unless Mm -hmm. I, unless I misheard that. So I, I don't know. Baseball might just be confounding. Like it might, yeah. I mean, the Cardinals are are not a speed team, so maybe yeah. it's just when you run up against a speed team, and and Yadier Molina is not going to go, and Matt Adams is not going to go, and Johnny Peralta is not going to go facing a left-handed starter, even if that left-handed starter is not going to throw it first. But I, I yeah, don't know. I guess, I guess it, so. it will be interesting to watch. It would be, I mean. Imagine if that's John Lester's downfall, <laughs> that he never throws the first base. That would be the the most interesting, tragic comic downfall that any player has ever experienced, I would think. You haven't given me a, a number yet. How much would you oh. lower your offer? How much would I lower my offer? Uh, and, I, and I guess you can think you might be overconfident, and you might say, I'm, oh. Right. Uh, I would I'll think that I could... That I could turn him into a pickoff attempt. But if, if he looks you in the eyes and says, "No, seriously, dude, it's not going to happen," <laughs> and you're like, "I'll get through to you," and he's like, "Hey, I mean, I'll take your money, but it's not going to happen." And so now you've got to, you've got to, got to, got to. It seems that 
teams did not lower their offers, right? That seems pretty clear. I mean, he, he got pretty big offers. He got as I, big, I imagine, as, big I imagine, as one would have expected him to get imagine, if he threw pickoffs. I, I imagine he did not tell any teams that he was never going to throw the first again. <laughs> no. Um, gosh. I don't know, because I could imagine a scenario where it's I'm like thinking, you're complete I think, undoing. I know. I honestly feel like I might drop to like like $7 million. <laughs> I know. Like I might give him the Yasmani Tomas contract and not a penny more. <laughs> I might too. It's sort of scary. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Do you know if did we hear whether he did throw any over in spring training? I didn't hear that. Someone must have written about that, right? But I don't know. Maybe we can Google it while we record. Someone must have covered whether he was attempting that or whether anyone ever talked to him about it. Yeah. Um, before we move on, uh, we have occasionally done a segment on the show where we try to figure out incomprehensible statements by teams and we try to imagine what their rationale might be. Do you have any Angels Josh Hamilton rationale for why they uh, made the comments that they made after the news that he wouldn't be suspended? And everyone wondered why they were saying anything and their comments were perceived as as insensitive and whiny and inappropriate and it sounds like some players were upset by it, and yeah. it seems like no one was not upset by it. So do you have a theory for for how this makes sense or what, what aim they were <laughs> trying to further? Well, I, can, I think that it's easy enough for me to come up with theories for why their position makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, don't, I, I think that probably, I don't know, I or a lot of people, given the very limited information we had, generally felt like even their position didn't make sense, that he, he shouldn't be suspended, that uh, he requires treatment, not discipline, and that, um, mm-hmm. you know, the point of, the point of uh, discipline is generally to either, uh, is generally to, uh, you know, incentivize responsible behavior or keep somebody from, you know, doing bad things, right? But, like, obviously it doesn't seem like a suspension is the in sort of incentive that is going to work on Josh Hamilton. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's an addict. Like, he would, like, I... He might uh, walk into a burning building to do drugs if he really wanted to. I mean, that's what addiction is, right? Mm-hmm. So probably the suspension as discipline isn't going to work in that sense. Uh, so, but anyway, I mean, I can sort of come up with reasons why they might nonetheless uh, want to discipline him besides the craven, cynical explanation that they just don't want to pay a guy who's not worth it to them, which mm-hmm. is... Uh, a horrible injured injured anyway injured anyway yeah which is despicable and awful and probably the most likely but also just so 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 uncaring and awful that i don't even want to think about it Mm -hmm. Uh, but i can think of other reasons like we don't unless the story is out there and i just haven't read it i mean we don't really like we don't know what he said to them when he Mm -hmm. was you know in the meantime maybe he maybe he was insubordinate who knows maybe um that we, I don't know. He's, I, I, I don't know the story that well. So forgive me if I'm saying things that are wrong here. But like he gets credit, I think generally in public for having admitted this to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, having come clean. But you know, maybe he was uh, due to be tested 45 minutes later. Right. Uh, I don't know how. I don't know. I don't know if that's a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could just sort of see them thinking, well, you know, we have to have some grounds for accountability. I also don't really know what they were lobbying for. Maybe they were lobbying for a three-game suspension or something like that. 
again, like these are all things that other people probably know the answers to. And mm-hmm. they're like, Sam, you're an idiot. That's not how it was at all. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, long story short, mm-hmm. uh, I don't have any idea why they would say all this after the fact. Once the ruling is is in, like I don't see what you gain by mm-hmm. by complaining about it. Uh, even if there wasn't a human being involved, I don't see what you get by complaining about it. But certainly he's he's now a player that you presumably want to keep happy, and you want to keep your other teammates happy, and you don't want to look like jerks in public. And uh, it felt tone deaf and pointless and i don't have a good explanation do you have a good explanation are they I appealing d- could they be appealing is there any possibility of appeal i don't know but even i even if they were would the public comments help i maybe putting pressure on someone i i don't know it doesn't make much sense to me sahadev says that according to the beat writers uh he's sitting next to lester did throw over during his minor league start and bounced it in hmm well, I don't know. I wonder. I mean, even a bounce is better than nothing, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, not. Uh, yeah, it is. Because what? Like, the guy's going to go to second on your throw? Right. <laughs> <laughs> huh. 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 Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Yes, it will. Um, okay. Anything on the Padres trade? You Padres, know what? Braves trade? We're changing subjects. I'm not wasting it. I'm not wasting a topic on this. Okay. If yours will work tomorrow. We're, we're 17 minutes in. <laughs> okay. I got it. I got it. Well, it's going to be a whole new topic for tomorrow. Okay. All so right. So we can just do an opening day banter episode. Uh, That's what we're doing. All right. So the Padres. <laughs> yeah. This was uh, surprising. It was. So the trade, for anyone who hasn't seen it, the Padres got Craig Kimbrell, Braves closer. Best reliever in baseball, inning, inning per inning. Maybe. 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 It's no, lo- no longer clear. I, mm-hmm. it, he probably is. Uh, but if you look at, like, Jonathan Judge's uh, CFIP work mm-hmm. and, you know, some other things, uh, Kimbrell actually dropped quite a bit last year. And, of mm-hmm. course, if you do it by – if you look at it multiple years, he probably fares really well and he's probably at the top. But if you look at just 2014 CFIP, uh, he was 17th among all pitchers, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, like, really way behind Aroldis Chapman, like like double Aroldis Chapman. Yeah, well, Chapman... Uh, and so anyway, I think that Chapman's record, like, I wouldn't put Batances ahead of Kimbrel, even though he was ahead of him last year, and I wouldn't put Doolittle ahead of him, and I wouldn't put Boxberger ahead of him, because those guys don't have the record, the track record. But Chapman kind of does, and he's the one guy that I... Like, if I were ranking relievers, I would probably now go... I might go Chapman, Kimbrell, Jansen, Davis, Holland. That might be my mm-hmm. five. Mm-hmm. I wonder when Chapman will start to lose velocity because he has only gained it thus far. He threw harder than ever last season and also threw off-speed stuff more often, which is not, not fair. Yeah. I'll be what curious to see what he does this year. His change-up whiff rate was like was 95%. Is that- <laughs> I don't know if that was the exact figure, but... No, but I think it might have been. Was it? Was it? I'm going to look, but I think it might have been, yeah. Huh. He threw more sliders, too. Yeah. Uh, so the, the Padres got Kimbrell and Melvin Upton reuniting the Uptons once more. And the Braves got back Carlos Quentin, who they are expected to release, and Cameron Mabin, and a couple of prospects, Matt Whistler, who is a pretty big prospect, and Jordan Parabek, who is more of a fringe prospect. 
and the 41st draft pick. And, of course, although no actual money or cash changed hands, big contracts changed hands. So there was the, the Kimbrel contract, which is which is a large. Three years and, what did you say, 43? Uh, that's what I said, yeah. Yeah, okay. So Kimbrel's on a pretty big contract, and the Padres shed Quentin's contract. And, uh, and this is kind of, this is kind of the quintessential Padres move of the winter, right? This is the usual Padres move. They have acquired talent and not necessarily in a way that makes sense, sort of makes sense more than some of their moves, but they, they acquired another outfielder and they had too many outfielders and they got rid of two outfielders in this deal and, Upton. They they didn't acquire an outfielder. They they acquired a, a, a an asset. They acquired a a, a contract. Yes, a, a contract that I mean, no one wanted, that the Braves didn't want. Right. And he happens to be an outfielder, and and probably the the team's best defensive outfielder for whatever that's worth. Uh, unfortunately, you also have to have him hit if you want him to play defense. Most for the most part, unless you use him as a defensive replacement only. So they got rid of a prospect who everyone had kind of congratulated them for not getting rid of all winter as they were making all of those many moves. But they got one of the best relievers in baseball, but they had one of the best bullpens in baseball already. So they demoted a couple useful relievers. And so this was like kind of the the Preller move in that he acquired a good player, but doesn't totally fit with their needs. Like they... If they were going to make a trade, you know, they have a pretty awful infield still and a pretty pretty bad defensive outfield, and this just kind of strengthens a strength and gets rid of a logjam a little bit, I suppose, but doesn't really address their areas of weakness. And it's, and it's like the most unexpected thing, which is what they've been doing all winter to trade yeah. for, for Craig Kimbrell on the eve of opening day. Is is just another in a long line of double take worthy Preller moves. The Braves had sort of insisted that they were going to hang on to Kimbrel. It seemed like or, while everyone was wondering why they were hanging on to Kimbrel while trading everyone else, they seemed like the sort of team that doesn't really need a closer who's making lots of money, and that seems like the logical guy to move if you were doing a partial rebuild. And they didn't for a long time, and then Preller, I guess, was the one who convinced them to. This is not the question that any GM would have been asking in this situation, but just curious. Uh, let's say Will Myers plays first base for them, or eventually, uh, and so you need a center fielder. You're the Padres. Would you rather have Upton or Mabin at this point? Huh. <laughs> well, um, I think probably Mabin. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, he might get hurt and not play, but Upton might not get hurt and play. Yeah, and that's probably worse. So yeah, I think maybe. Uh huh. So I don't know. They they have a really really good bullpen now and uh, more cash on hand. I I picked the Padres to win a wild card, um, in part because I just felt like the Padres are never done and Preller is never done, and that having done as much as he did this winter, he would continue to do things. And so he has done a thing, and I would not be—I would not doubt that he will do more things this winter, as or this summer, as he needs to do things. So 
it's uh i don't know it kind of puts a nice cap on their winter because it's the same sort of thing that they have been doing since he took over yeah so like last year when the angels uh at the trade deadline traded for houston street one of the criticisms was they don't really need houston street what they really need is a starter and they said or maybe they didn't say maybe other people said but they said well we didn't really have the resources to get a good starter we weren't Mm -hmm. going to be able to trade for david price we weren't going to be able to give up addison russell and get jeff samarja and we tried and we kicked every tire and eventually we just it couldn't make it work out and so they got houston street and then their bullpen was dynamite and it was arguably the best part of their team in the second half uh and they survived uh, without that starter and in fact without even garrett richards uh, as you remember and uh, so I wonder if... And we uh, speculated at the time, I think, that maybe they were doing that with an eye on toward the wildcard game, just stacking their bullpen just with with late-inning relievers and so that they could just do a, an all-reliever thing if they had to, if they yeah. had a crappy starter. So you could say, I mean, I, given what we know about, given what we talked about earlier with Preller, where he had scout, you know, he had kicked the tires on 200 players by the end of November. And I mean, it certainly doesn't sound like he's not doing due diligence. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it conceivable that there just aren't infielders available that like shortstops? I mean, I guess Rollins was available and probably maybe conceivably uh, Eric Ibar would have been available at some point early in the off season. Uh, But at this point, it's not like there's any surplus shortstops in the world or in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe he just figures that, uh, uh, as long as you're improving somewhere on your team, uh, you don't have to worry about where you like look worst on a depth chart. You can just worry about whether you can get best on your next depth chart. Mm-hmm. Which is probably true, but it seems like it would be a, be a tough long-term strategy because if you are never worried about maximizing the amount that a new guy makes you better than you are. I mean, theoretically, the the team that trades for a guy is usually going to be the guy who, well, or often would be the team that stands to benefit the most from that player, right? Mm -hmm. And so the team that is trading that player is not going to trade him for any less just because he is not upgrading your roster as much as he would some other roster. So you are paying full price for this guy, but you are not getting the full impact of this guy because his his wins above replacement player on your roster is lower than his wins above replacement player on someone else's roster who doesn't have a good bullpen already in this case. So that seems like it would be a it'd be a tough thing to do. And they took on a lot of money in this. They gave up a fairly valuable package of prospects slash draft picks for a fairly marginal upgrade probably which just seems like it would be a tough thing to do over and over and over again maybe not in the short term in the short term it makes them a little bit better and they've obviously sunk a lot into being successful right now yeah in this case they probably had almost in they had almost no competition like that that construct of is this guy more valuable to us than anybody else is almost irrelevant on the eve of opening day because Mm -hmm. Of the 29 other teams, 28 if you exclude the one who's offering the trade, like, I don't know, somewhere between zero and three are going to even, like, be able to conceive of having the money available. Like, 
most of them have their budgets set by now, and they're just not adding players. They don't have the roster, uh, the uh, the payroll space uh, in their kind of owner determined payrolls, and so probably they don't actually have to worry about any competition. So, like this was almost like a free trade if they were willing to make it. Uh, the question is whether it was a good trade. Just because they and only they could take it doesn't mean that it was a good trade. It does seem like, like if you think that what they gave up, like just the package they gave up, is that that's a net. I mean, if they couldn't give, sorry, if they gave that package away to somebody, lots of teams would take it, right? The prospects mm-hmm. are worth the money that uh, that is owed to Quentin and Maben. Yeah, Quentin and Maben are owed like twenty some million for a couple of years each, I think, or maybe just three years total. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, they're uh, not good. It's neither like twenty four million combined, I think, something like that. Yeah, and neither of those guys is good, but they're not. They're also not total zeros. So you figure, I don't know, maybe for three years of those two guys with a mutual option on Quentin, that'll get rejected. I don't know. Maybe those guys are worth three wins. Over, geez, I just, I, if it's three wins <laughs> between them all, that almost pays for it. Okay. So, and then you've got the prospect, uh, then you've got Weasler, who's good, and then you've got the draft pick, which is worth, I don't know, $7 million, something like that in surplus value. So, they had to give up stuff, and what they got back were Kimbrel and Upton, which is essentially Kimbrel for $85 million in commitment. So, that actually does seem like a really bad trade, doesn't it? <laughs> I I like the Braves and better. <laughs> that is definitely true. That's okay. So that interesting because this does not look good right now <laughs> to, me, to me right now, and mm-hmm. I haven't not liked any of his trades so far. Uh, mm-hmm. I've liked all of them. I and I like the Shields deal even with the draft pick that they gave up. I thought that was good enough. Uh, so this is the first one that I don't get. Yeah, I'm. I wonder how this came about i'd love to know how this came about on on april 6th i mean or april 5th was this a a, i mean the braves must have had talks involving kimbrell with other teams over the winter i would think other teams must have inquired and none of them must have had an, an offer this attractive and how did how did it come about that that this trade was made on the eve of opening day when rosters are essentially set was this being worked on for weeks was it just one of those things where Preller picks up the phone and catches someone by surprise and they make a trade by accident before they hang up i don't know but it's kind of fascinating that it happened when it did someone's probably gonna get a deal on quentin right i mean quentin is a pretty good hitter he has been in the worst possible situations for someone like quentin who should be a, a dh but uh, on a on an AL team that picks him up to to platoon DH or something, I mean he he's not a bad hitter. He was well, a bad he, hitter last year. Right. He was he, a he good was hitter good. before then. Yeah, you're just you're getting a half a season of a DH who might. I I mean you could see a team being worried that he wasn't just bad last year because it was a small sample, but that the injuries have taken their toll, mm-hmm. and that you know he is 32. He's He's a big, slow guy, old mm-hmm. player skill, uh, you know, yeah. player skills. And, uh, and you know, he best case is you're going to get, you know, three or 400 plate appearances. 
worst case is that you're either not or that he's actually in a very rapid decline. I mean, I you could see Quentin being out of the league in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I could see him working out pretty well for someone who doesn't have to pay him much. Yeah. Just pay right. a minimum whilst the other team is paying him and uh, might get something useful out of him. So is it is it presumed that the Braves are going to flip him? Uh, I, I guess. I guess they'll see what they can get. I don't. I don't know. Um, it was. Uh, it was. He's right. He's going to be designated for assignment. So I guess they will look around for someone. But at the same time, it seems like they are going to maybe release him any either way. It doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of leverage. Not that he has a ton of value to begin with. Why do you think that the Braves should have traded Kimbrel? I mean, I know they're very bad at baseball right now, but he's signed for three years more than this. So why would you say they should trade Kimbrel but not Freddie Freeman and not Anderson Simmons? Just the the role, I guess. Just the What do you mean the what do you mean the role though? Like they're the Freddie Free I know that, that a a bad team doesn't need a closer particularly, but mm-hmm. a bad team doesn't need anything. Like once you accept that they're a bad team and they're playing for nothing, then they don't need anything. <laughs> is it more pain is it somehow more painful to lose because your first baseman sucks than to lose because your closer sucks? Uh, I don't know. Ask Brewers fans who had to watch Uni play first. Maybe. But I I don't I don't know. It just seems like um uh you know, reliability of relievers and uh And also if, if you're if you have the ability to experiment, you're much more likely to find a uh you know, to find a closer who's really good, like, you know, some some whatever double A failed starter who's really good and ends up being a valuable asset, then you're likely to find a unheralded first baseman who turns into an all star or an unheralded shortstop who turns into an all star. Like I guess I guess when you're losing is the time to be experimenting with closers and experimenting with your bullpen and cashing those guys out or mm. just being happy that you have them for the minimum. So I guess maybe and, that's a good reason. And if there is some sign that he's starting to be less otherworldly. Maybe that means it's a good time to get rid of him before everyone catches on. And also, Freeman and Simmons are also signed for longer than Kimbrel was, mm-hmm. and, and they're younger. Yeah, so uh, so it's not it's not the same time frame, and uh, they are younger. But boy, I mean, I I don't know, man. If I were a fan, I'm not sure. Uh, okay, Simmons, I would rather have, but I mm-hmm. as a fan. There are I, there might not be like eight guys I'd rather have on my team than Craig Kimbrell just to watch <laughs> just to like uh-huh. see him come out and do the thing. I'd rather have Chapman though. Yeah. Okay. Well, look at this. We bantered our way through a whole episode. Yeah. This is this is what we can do during uh, wait, regular season. Yeah. I have, I have to ask you this. Did this okay. change? Did this change your predictions at all? Do the Padres do anything more now than you already had them doing? Uh well I had them winning a wild card and I yeah, still so do. Did. So did I. Yeah. And I didn't it didn't change me. Do you have no. the Braves dropping behind the Phillies yet? Um hmm. I haven't looked, but I think not. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> me neither. Me neither. So this changed nothing. Like this was a very exciting twenty five minutes uh mm. having this uh emerge. And then I went to my predictions that I have to do and I was like, Yes, oh no and I just <laughs> closed it again like nothing changed Basically, yeah. it's really hard to change things yeah how are you feeling about the uh we talked about the the dodgers rotation depth on friday how are you feeling about it now that they signed scott baker 
<laughs> I really, I was, uh, I was hoping another team that I like more would sign Scott Baker. <laughs> well, he fits. Uh, and, I love that they signed Scott Baker. Yeah, He's I, one I, of the I, group. I declared it immediately. I was with somebody when we, when he read on his phone that Scott Baker had been released, and then somebody said, "This somebody said they should, the Giants should get him," and I said they should. And then a minute passed, and then I said the Dodgers are going to get him, and then we, we kept eating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Just yeah. another guy. Yeah. What are they? Uh, minor league deal. Just a minor league deal. Yeah. And uh, you know what we should do since we didn't do a reliever league is we should do a uh, starts for the Dodgers league. And <laughs> you can draft any human being alive, and uh, every start that he makes for the Dodgers <laughs> is worth uh, you know. Excellent. Right. Yeah. And the last thing I wanted to mention is the uh, the Joe Madden tampering investigation still ongoing. What 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 would you imagine could be prolonging this past opening day, which is uh, a time that they initially said they would not go past? Like what what they are continuing to gather facts. What facts do you think they could be continuing to gather? I would imagine that six they, months, five months after this happened. Yeah, I imagine they have gathered no facts, and they're <laughs> right. just holding out hope that some fact at some point somebody might walk Kill. in with a whistleblower. Fact. Yeah, and be like, "I've got your facts." But <laughs> I don't know. There's no fact. There, nobody's gonna say anything. <laughs> I guess that's how the the old blue ribbon blue ribbon Bud Selig ballpark panel in Oakland worked. It just went on for years and years without ever making a decision. Hoping, I guess, that someone would wander into the conference room with a solution. Uh-huh. So, same deal. Yeah. All right. So, All right. hey, look how easy this is. Once baseball is going on, we can just talk and talk. Don't even need a topic. No, sir. Let's do okay. it tomorrow. We will. All right. So, support our sponsor, the Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you subscribe to get the discounted price of $30 on a one year subscription. And please send us emails for Wednesday's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Late post-recording edition for you. We left you hanging on that Aroldis Chapman fun fact about the 95% whiff percentage. That is true. Aroldis Chapman threw 63 change-ups last year. He got swings on 19 of them, and he got swings and misses on 18 of them. So Aroldis Chapman did actually have a 94.7% whiff per swing rate on his changeup. Just so you know, just in case you were wondering. All right, episode really over.